Need a website for your business, but not looking to break the bank for one? I've got you covered. Hi, it's me, Ashley M. Lyle, founder and CEO of Blacken and host of the Black Queens on Stage podcast. And yes, I also have a website business, Sites by Lyle. I can create a dynamic website for your business that will showcase your work, wow potential clients, and close more sales. So contact me on my Instagram at Sites by Lyle to schedule your free 30-minute evaluation so we can get you started on your new website. Welcome to the Black Queens on Stage podcast, presented by Black Literature and Art Queens Network, where we bring our queens to the stage. Welcome to the podcast where we honor and acknowledge Black women performers and discuss racial issues within Michigan performing venues. My name is Ashley M. Lyle, and I am joined today by a local music therapist from the Eastern Michigan University Music Therapy Clinic, Ebony Swain. Hi, Ebony. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. We we got the chance to briefly talk on Facebook regarding your career, and it's ridiculously fascinating. And I, I'm so I'm so thrilled to have you here today in in this episode. I'm happy to share. Music therapy is something that. Um, even now, as we continue to grow and more research continues to be done, you know, a lot of people still have no idea about the power of music. And I'm happy to share. Mm-hmm. Ebony has a Bachelor of Music Therapy. So this is, you're definitely getting an expert here, folks. <laughs> Let's get started with this interview, shall we? Yes. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what music therapy is and how it works. Okay, Sure. So music therapy, there's a lot of different, very long, very complicated sounding definitions wherever you look, but um, a lot of therapists and students like to kind of create their own definitions to help, you know, the common person kind of understand more about what it is. So the definition I like to use a lot is um, using music and creating what I call this meaningful musical container Mm -hmm. for patients to kind of let go of their ailments, whatever it may be, neurological, behavioral, communicative, physical, you know, psychosocial, anything like that. And to have this open space to be expressive and to truly let the music kind of take them and take their ailments away and create a better, more sustaining, dynamic force of change in their life and even in their bodies. See, I already told you, I'm ridiculously fascinated now. So, so who, who does this, who, uh, who benefits from music therapy? Music therapy can impact people of any age. We have um, research and techniques and things that Across the lifespan, we can do behavioral disorders, communicative disorders, like I was saying, neurological, physical, excuse me, physical abnormalities. Truly, even someone who just just needs like a wellness coach, just like a musical wellness coach. You don't even have to have anything necessarily wrong with you, but just the music would just heal you in ways that it is truly hard to explain. Mm -hmm. So, what kind of instruments? 
or what type of music do you use during your sessions? Have you ever composed any music for any patients? Um, almost all of the music we do is composed almost in a way. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our techniques and things revolve around, you know, common musical kind of chords and common musical songs and kind of turn them on their head to apply more to the patient. There are songs where um, there was this one patient I had who really loved the Monster Shout song. And so we would, you know, we'd play through that for a couple of refrains and then I'd start encouraging them to maybe change up the lyrics and they would start talking about, you know, things in their life and kind of creating almost like their own kind of rap or song that helps them express what they're feeling at the moment. So my main is violin, but I also do play guitar and piano. But um, even before then, a lot of the little musical um, instruments that you see maybe in like kindergarten or first grade, like the musical boom whackers and like baby xylophones and things, we use everything. It's truly, that's really where it becomes fun, being able to really bring out all these cool trinkets and toys and gadgets and musical instruments that probably even adults haven't seen, but even especially the kids, they really enjoy it. Do you have particular genres of music that you improvise for each individual patient, or is it just whatever music that, that brings joy to the patient? It really is about the music that brings the patient joy. And that's kind of one of the biggest things um, that I feel in terms of the difference between performing and then music therapy is that when you're performing, it's a lot about you. You know, does this, am I playing this correctly? Am I communicating this message to the audience? Can I hit that high note right now? You know, am I thinking about the emotion of the song and, you know, living through that moment, you know, of the song and the performance right then. But on the music therapist side, it's a lot more about observing the patient and observing their needs and knowing how to react to them. Like, is the patient in pain? Are they anxious, sad, lonely? What ways can the music be manipulated to prompt emotion, relaxation, memory in my patient? So it really becomes a lot less of a selfish act. And you're really focused on the patient and making them as comfortable and observing them to, for the slightest change and really um, adapting to that quickly. Mm -hmm. So so walk me through a session. So say, for example, I'm your patient, okay? Walk me through what would a first session look like? So a first session is really about getting to know the patient, getting to know their musical background and their musical abilities, more about their ailments and things like that. Really a just a total assessment. A lot of things I like to do is to, for example, I had one patient that had a, um, it was on the autism spectrum. And so she was um, very hyperactive, um, hard to stay focused. And so what I did was I put different types of instruments, you know, like that xylophone, those musical boom whackers in different areas of the room. And I just let the patient, you know, go through and pick up everything, see how they like it, see their reactions to the different sounds. You know, sometimes, you know, the parents might be there, you'll be talking to them while the patient's kind of doing their intro session just to get to know each other. And it's a lot of just about really just observation seeing what they like, seeing what they don't like, seeing how they respond to the different types of music and then being able to adapt and create songs and um, create musical therapy, kind of almost lesson plans mm. for each session that involves um, the observations you made in that first assessment. She likes the xylophone. 
better than the boom whackers. They're a little bit too loud and made her a little bit anxious that made her anxiety rise. That's a good thing to know. Things like that. So before becoming a therapist, how often did you perform on stage? Before I actually finished my degree, I actually was performing a decent bit. I was in, um, actually before I was, I went to Eastern, I was also at Wayne State University and I was in their symphony orchestra playing violin. And then I um, turned to more electronic music. And so I joined the electronic music ensemble and we toured around down the East Coast and everything. And it was a great experience. So I had you know, performing experience and things before I got my degree and really started getting into my clinical work in the medical setting. And the the musical, the electronic musical tour, uh, was there a specific name to it? Like, what kind of shows did you guys put on? Like, what entailed in this electronic musical performance? So our group um, was really passionate about um, stretching the boundaries of what is considered music, especially in the electronic um, community or even the electroacoustic community. Because there's, you know, there's the electric music that people think of today, which may be more like, you know, the dance or the house music. But there's also music that you can do where you use literal electronic objects. Mm. And the whole point of this was to like I was saying, to kind of break down that barrier and ask that question about what can be music and what is music. And I took a special interest into it because um, a lot of some of my research involved a piece of electronic music technology. And um, I do it a lot for things like intellectual disabilities, Parkinson's disease, the deaf and hard of hearing. So being able to play around with electronics and to manipulate them in a way to where you can create this almost avant-garde kind of genre where we're using radios and we're using our laptops and we're actually coding music into these pieces of electronics and then bring it all together was really motivated me to want to push the boundaries of just acoustics and electronics and how they blend and they merge together. How often do you use, uh, electronic music versus instrumental music for your patients? It really depends. It has to really fit well for them. For example, with the little girl who was deaf and hard of hearing, she really wanted to sing. But because she was deaf and hard of hearing, her voice was very monotone, very drone, because she she's never heard people's timbers where you can change your voice and it sounds different. So I used my electronic music technology. It was a microphone that turns your voice into um, MIDI and that's a musical instrument digital interface. And it essentially allowed her to be able to speak into the microphone and then to be able to give her visual feedback on the strength of her voice and how accurate her voice is so even though she wasn't able to hear how she sounded, she could visit, physically see, you know, how close she was to the note, how strong her voice was. And this gradually was able to help her train and strengthen her vocal cords to actually be able to sing despite being almost completely deaf and hard of hearing in one ear. Wow. Oh, my God. That's so cool. So like she could 
see the like the way the different wavelengths between the mm-hmm. song itself and the her singing and she would either elevate her voice or or uh, bring the pitch up or whatever just to match that note mm-hmm. that is and so, so just cool. this, this training and things like that with chords and you know different keys and things like that just kind of like a musical vocal training using this new piece of electronic music therapy um, technology. Yeah, we were able to get her singing again, and it was a really great and really powerful moment. Now, in return with that, does that also help with her everyday speech? Yes, yes, it did. Nice. Wow, that's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm completely blown away right now. That's that's so extremely fascinating because I, 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 I know very little of... Uh, the hearing impaired community. I, I don't have anyone in my family that is hearing impaired, but all that I, uh, and I but not to say that I haven't come across someone who was hearing impaired. And I, mm-hmm. I do notice that their speech is much different from mine. And that's only because they can't actually hear themselves talk. You can't hear themselves talk. They can't hear anyone else talk. There's so many, it's really amazing how much we, do collect that kind of information at such a young age from each other and how much even a social setting like little kids being in school really helps them to understand and pick up on those kind of more social communicative aspects like the voice and social interactions, things like that. This is amazing. Um, (laughs) I'm like completely blown away right now. So what kind of musical techniques did you learn early in your career as an artist and a therapist to get you where you are today? I would probably have to say the most common technique is probably called this, it's called receptive music therapy. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the closest to performing that music therapy gets. It's where the client or patient listens to music, you know, live or recorded and they respond to the experience, you know, silently, verbally, um, some other type of modality. They're, the responses are designed according to the therapeutic process of the experience. So I guess what that means is that the patient is receiving the music as to opposed to creating or recreating or analyzing. But the key part is the therapeutic purpose and that there's a goal that you're always trying to reach with your patient and uh, we use the music as a tool to reach those goals. And so music therapists and performers are often mislabeled in these medical settings because the musical result may appear the same, you know, music, beautiful music, but yet that the therapeutic result is utilized when someone is trained to look for the changes that the music can create and urge it forward and urge it almost kind of grab onto it and manipulate it more for a true physical or emotional change. And so it takes a lot of not only music, but also just psychology and being able to read the room in a sense, read facial expressions to be able to understand almost verbal cues, physical cues, things like that, and adapt and change the music in an instant, just like that accordingly. Mm-hmm. So with m- music and with um, vocal and facial cues, what do, the, what do those vocal and facial cues look like in comparison to what m- the music is being played? I guess my question is, 
based on vocal and facial cues, how do you know when the music needs to be changed? How do you know when it's time to explore something different? How do you know when something is working? It really depends on the patient or the um, client themselves, depending on what their issues are, what they're coming in for, what the um, goal for the music therapy is. For example, maybe if a um, child who is more on the autism spectrum, if they come in and we start off with a song that they were enjoying, but maybe they start to pull away from that in a sense where they may do um, certain movements where they're maybe kind of walking towards the door a little bit more or walking away from me. If they're more into the music and into the session, they'll they'll be a little closer. But once they start to maybe walk away, get a little more distracted, that's when you think that maybe you need to change it up, try and get their interest back, mm-hmm. things like that. But let me ask you this next question. In, in this field of music therapy that it's presumably dominated by other white therapists, mm-hmm. um, explain to me what it's like being a Black woman music therapist. To me, I find it to be a, a good place to be in, especially if I come across someone another Black, even another Black woman or a Black male or even a Black child. It's really feels a little bit more interpersonal. And I try to make ways to ingrain our culture a little bit more into their sessions, you know, instead of going for regular music, not to say regular in a sense that, what's a good way to say it? Like for one little boy, he was actually very, very good at poetry. So I really supported his kind of rap and freestyle sessions and those really helped him to express his issues. He was having behavioral problems, fighting in school. He had this whole mindset of, you know, good kid, bad kid. And he expressed that really well through freestyle. And so I really pushed for him to enjoy, you know, beatboxing, rapping, things like that, that really, really helped him express more than if it was just maybe a regular kind of piano or violin. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And you know, that is some hearing, hearing something like that, that really puts faith back into our culture, you know, because it, it, with a child like him, I can't, I'm not going to assume because I don't know the child. I don't know his life, but it, it, based on statistics, the way that our young black men are viewed, if he's considered mm-hmm. having those behavioral problems, it would progressively get worse for that for young men like him, where it would it would be it would lead him right into the the school to prison pipeline, you know, yeah. or or fate worse or fate worse than that, you know. Mm-hmm. That's so oh wow, that's amazing. So what obstacles or challenges have you faced because you're a Black woman therapist? I would say probably the biggest challenge is the challenge of not only being a newer music therapist, because I haven't um, haven't graduated that long ago, and not only that, but also because right now I am one of two that are in our clinic right now. And so our, we really stick together and we really um, collaborate on a lot of things. And so I guess it would be the biggest thing is that natural teamwork. It's like the other music therapists are, they're very kind and they're very accepting and they really love the work that I do. But 
it's almost a, a silent, deeper connection mm-hmm. to have a fellow Black woman therapist. It's, it's a different feeling, a different mindset almost. Too. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those moments where, <laughs> you know, you, you don't even have to say anything. You just, just look at each other and you just know. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel like you had to, that you ever had to work two or three times harder than any, than the other therapists? You know, I did. But I honestly never associated that with race. I really more so just associated that with me being newer, Mm -hmm. to be completely honest. Okay. So describe a moment when you had to deal with a difficult fellow therapist, a supervisor, or another fellow artist in your performing time, and how you positively interacted with them. I had a fellow therapist. Um, My research that I've done is a little new. Um, but I really wanted to try and put it to use. And so one of the first clients I um, went for was a little girl, not the little girl who had the uh, hard of hearing, mm-hmm. but um, another little girl that had an intellectual disability. And so I was trying to use the beatboxing method because actually when you're beatboxing, you're making certain sounds that are actually really common um, phonemes that people with an intellectual disability, excuse me, um, just like I was, can get a little tongue tied. So maybe like that deep, um, like subwoofer kick can kind of be like a PH or a PF, Mm -hmm. that really kind of sound, or maybe the hi-hat can have that TS that that can really help them train that tongue and get their articulation down really well. And one therapist was a little hesitant at the idea of me kind of starting a case study when my uh, research was so new. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily know, even to this day, whether or not her hesitation was actually founded or if maybe it did have a little something to do with race or that I was a newer therapist. But um, it took a, no, I wouldn't say it took a lot, but I did want to sit down with her and I wanted to honestly know what about, you know, my research kind of didn't add up to make it seem like it wouldn't be a good idea to start a case study with a patient on it. And so we did sit down and she talked me through some things and I explained some things to her and it ended up a pretty well experience in the end. That's good. Unfortunately, the little girl actually backed out of the clinic before we could even start the study, but the experience was still there nonetheless. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at at least you got some kind of information, you Mm -hmm. know? So my next question has to deal with a success story. And I want to preface this real quick for my listeners that we're keeping HIPAA in mind. Um, HIPAA, which stands for the Health Information Privacy Protection Act, and it protects all patient information uh, so that way no one is is identified based on what their ailment or treatments are. So with HIPAA in mind, tell me about a success story that you've had as a musical therapist. This is going to sound a little depressing, but it's a story that has really stuck with me. And even though the end result is sad, I feel like the the experience that happened in the room that day, not only with the patient, but also with the family was really wholesome and really successful. Okay. So I did some volunteer work at a hospice center and there was a little boy who was um, in his um, hospice routine towards the end. And so his family was in the room and he had his favorite song. It was um, the one, 
this is the one thing I'm blanking on was the actual name. It was a guitar sonata, okay. which was very interesting for it to be a favorite of a little terminal ill boy, but I loved it and I learned it and we played it there with his family and with him there. And it was literally the last thing that he heard before he passed away. Oh. But just the the feeling in the room, not only with the family, but also looking at him and seeing he was, he was truly peaceful in that moment, you know, especially for, to see a little kid, you know, they might be scared, you know, I don't want to go, I'm scared. And you, that heart wrenching moment, but he was so relaxed, so calm. The whole moment was very wholesome. And I think that was probably the most successful, the hardest and also most successful music therapy moment I've had so far. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I'm at a loss of words right now. Um, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's really, really beautiful. Um, so what kind of... <laughs> I apologize. I hear you. <laughs> right. I'm like, Jesus, God, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta break, I gotta break this, this, this awkwardness. Okay. <laughs> Wiping my tears away. <laughs> What kind of moral support do you have for your career? Moral support? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, there's the friends and family. It's a little bit hard for, I guess I won't say hard, but with so many people being a little less aware of what music therapy is, it's sometimes hard to feel more of that support, especially when you're having conversations with people and you love when they ask questions and they're super interested, but there's also that, that really great feeling when you tell someone you're a music therapist and then your eyes light up with the recognition, like, ah, yes, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. So I guess the support in that sense is a little lacking, but that's why we are here and we are so strong on advocacy because we really want more people to know about it mm-hmm. and support it is the big thing as well. I, I, I can't even begin to tell you how important music is for me. And I'm not trying to drive this conversation away from you because you're my guest. But, oh, absolutely. but music has always been an incredibly important part of my life, an important part of my family. My my entire existence is music. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, and I'm not going to say that I have an extremely vast amount of knowledge of music, but the music that I do like, the music that I do love, it helps me to carve out my life. It helps me to carve out uh, different pathways in my life. What advice do you have for aspiring music therapists? I guess my advice would be to to stay true. There was a lot of times, especially for me, where I began to second guess it. Um, I knew from um, a little girl that I, I really wanted to do music, but it was like the the teacher aspect wasn't completely calling to me, and neither was just just performing. I, I really felt like I craved and wanted something more out of my music. And so finding out about music therapy and getting interested in it really changed my life. And for a long time, I was unsure about it, but I, I stuck with it. And it really is one of the best career life decisions I've ever made. So that would really be my advice is just to, is to stick with it. 
And uh, this next question I, I ask all of my guests, and it's called The Queen's Request. So I would like for you to suggest to me one or two Black Michigan women artists then that can be that can be in music theater, uh, therapy, that can be in in, uh, in um a, a rapper, can be a poet, can be a burlesque performer, whatever that we should be keeping an eye out for. Hmm. Black artists that we should keep an eye out. I guess I can say just uh, a regular musical artist that I've really enjoyed recently. I know that she's she's in the band called The Internet, and it's just a really nice, soothing kind of hip-hop vibe, and she has a really soothing voice. Or actually, you know what? I will say um, Marisol Norris, actually. I just met her a couple nights ago. She is the founder of the Black Music Therapy Network which is a network I just recently got involved in. And uh, actually a lot of their um, representatives are Black women. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Were you able to find the information of the other person that you were thinking of? The vocalist's name is Sid. Sid, S-Y-D? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I have heard of this person. But cool. <laughs> now, is there anything that you would like to promote, like a social media handle that's uh, for anyone to find you at, a website? I do have a very, 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 very small YouTube channel, really something I was doing in my spare time where I do post some of um, some some little music that I do create. And um, I was doing some some small podcast like episodes about music therapy. I think I only did three or four episodes and I always meant to do more and post them. But life got away from me and then COVID happened right after. So it's right. it's a little bear right now but yeah. it was my movie at the time and I was really passionate about uploading on it so mm-hmm. I guess I do have that um YouTube channel and it's Ren underscore violin are you are you uh currently back at work with uh with your clients we are in the process of um getting together a game plan to be able to open up in the fall you know because the, the therapy clinic is on campus so we have to um kind of work really tightly with how the campus plans to open up and follow those procedures, but we hope to be open. Well, I, th- I think that you should definitely create a music therapy podcast, you know, really go for it. It it needs to be, there needs to be something for it. And especially by, by a black woman. Yes. I would love to listen to something like that, you know, have, have like a ASMR episode or something. <laughs> Ooh, yes, those are some great ideas. <laughs> That would be great. Well, you know, I'm so glad that you joined me today. Thank you again, Ebony. I really appreciate this. This really opened up my eyes a lot to music therapy and how important it is, uh, not just for your patients or for anyone else, but it, it also opened my eyes about how important music really is for me as well. Yes, thank you. I was able to do that for you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. You can find Black Queens on Stage podcast and Black Literature and Art Queens Network at blackqueensonstage.com and blaqn.org. Follow me on Instagram at blaqnshowmichigan, on Facebook at blaqshowmichigan, and on Twitter at blaqnmi. You can find all this info in the show notes. Please rate the show and leave a review on Apple Podcast or on Podbean to let me know what you think of the show. 
Thanks again. Until next time.